Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Psalm 121. Hear now God's Word. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall not slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said... You may be seated. As I look out at this congregation, of course, I don't know all of you, but I do know many of you, and when I look, I see many things, and many of them happy things, but many are also frightening and uncertain and sorrowful. In fact, all of us need help, not just from time to time, but really all the time. We all need something. We need something or someone bigger than us. We need help. Where do we go for help? You've heard it said that God helps those who help themselves, but that's not what God says. He says that He helps those who seek Him. But many still seek help in all in the wrong places, and so some of you, I believe, perhaps, are currently seeking help in the wrong places. Today I want to call upon you, no matter what your fears are, no matter what your problems are, to lift up your eyes, to lift up your hearts to the one and only source of everlasting help. This psalm is ultimately about how God keeps and preserves His people. As Isaac Watts wrote, Our God, our help in ages past, our hope in years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. This is one of the songs of ascent, which are a special group of psalms comprising Psalm Psalms 120 through 134, 15 psalms. They're also called pilgrim psalms, and four of these are attributed to King David and one to Solomon, and the others are anonymous. So I want you to picture now the city of Jerusalem up on a high hill. Now there's some debate over exactly what's meant by the hills in this text, but I think it is a clear reference to the hills surrounding Jerusalem and ultimately to the highest hill, to Mount Zion. Upon this hilly range of sacred land, Scripture shows a very rich heritage of redemptive history. God has done many things here. For example, Psalm 48 describes it this way, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in His holy mountain, Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is in her palaces. He is known 
as her refuge. So the Jews would travel to Jerusalem for one of the three main annual feasts. Traditionally, as they went, they sang these songs of ascent as they went up the road, uh, up the hill, a couple of thousand feet. It was a steep ascent. The Jewish priests also sang these songs of ascent as they walked up the 15 steps to the temple, to the beautiful gate. And throughout the Bible, God's people, of course, are described as pilgrims, as travelers, and more specifically, as those who are making the ascent up the mountains. In fact, this is the same story of human history across the centuries from beginning to end. And it's very important to remember that this is not only an ancient story, this is your story as well. And a point I want to emphasize is what's one of the glorious things about our God is that he's, he's the God of the universe. He's infinite. And so he has no problem dealing with the big things, with nations, with history, with Israel, with the church. And he has no problem paying, giving you full attention, giving full attention to you. It's not one or the other. It's both. He has no, he's not distracted. He's able to help the world. He's able to help a nation. He's able to help the church. He's able to help you. And so, we see that, uh, God had all of his people in mind when he inspired the writing and the preservation of these psalms. And so we, too, need travelers' songs to sing on our way. And the reason we need them is because there are so many dangers and so many perils along the way. Do you recall the song of the sirens, those dangerous creatures in Greek mythology who would lure the sailors uh, away in, in, into dangerous waters until they shipwrecked. Well, let me tell you, there are also siren songs which beckon you to leave, leave the path of ascent. Therefore, God has given us songs, the psalms, to sing as we travel. Our singing these songs is not going to stop the dangers. What they're doing is they are increasing our faith and enabling us to press forward with confidence that we're not only not alone, but that we have the strongest possible guardian as we go. And that's one of the reasons we start every week right here, assemble together to speak to one another in psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs. We are marching to Zion together. We need each other. And so God's people are singing these songs on their three pilgrimages to Jerusalem for each of the three great feasts, for Passover, which commemorates the Exodus, for Pentecost, which commemorates the giving of the law at Sinai, and for the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, which commemorates their wandering in the wilderness. And this is what God says to Israel in Isaiah 30, verse 29. You shall have a song, 
as in the night when a holy festival is kept, and gladness of heart as when one goes with a flute to come into the mountain of the Lord to the mighty one of Israel. So on this journey, you're going to need your flute or whatever instrument you happen to play or be near someone who plays an instrument, if you're like me, because you're going to need to sing along the way. And the Apostle Paul, and also in Hebrews 3 and 4, describes the Christian life in this same kind of journey language. Here we're told that we are wandering exiles, passing through the wilderness to the mountain of the Lord, coming to the heavenly Jerusalem on the ascent. And this means means that the songs of ascent are for you too. The New Testament quotes the song of ascents, uh, songs of ascent six times, and when it does, it's, it's because it's saying that the pilgrim of, pilgrimage of Israel was a shadow, a type of what we are doing. It was a shadow of the greater reality, and that greater reality is the true pilgrimage of God unfolding in history, and that's the pilgrimage of the Christian on the way to the heavenly mountain. Hebrews 12:22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Everyone is headed somewhere, and right now you're either walking on the path of life or else you are in the wilderness of darkness. And some of you have had your eyes fixed on Jerusalem, the city of our God. But I am afraid that others, because of the dangers and the toils and the snares on every side and the siren songs that have penetrated your ears, that you're being lured away. You stopped looking. You stopped singing. And and I fear that some of you are not ascending anymore. This psalm and your pastor are calling your attention back to this song of ascent so that you can find the real help, the real help that you desperately need. There's a Hebrew word that's repeated six times in this psalm, which is translated either to keep or to preserve. Here's how John Calvin explained this repetition. I really like this. He says, This repetition is of importance to mark the reason why the prophet repeats so often what he had briefly and in one word expressed with sufficient plainness. In other words, he said it once. Why wasn't that enough? Such repetition seems at first sight superfluous, But when we consider how difficult it is to correct our distrust, it will be easily perceived that he does not improperly dwell upon the commendation of the divine providence. How few are to be found who yield to God the honor of being a keeper in order to their being thence assured of their safety and led to call upon Him in the midst of perils. you ever forget to call upon God when you're having a problem? When you're in difficulties, do you forget to do that? 
And that's why he says, that's why this is repeated six times. He goes on. On the contrary, even when we seem to have largely experienced this protection of God and what it implies, <coughs> yet we instantly tremble at the noise of a leaf falling. If, as if God had quite forgotten us, being then entangled in so many unholy misgivings and so much inclined to distrust, we are taught from this passage that if a sentence couched in a few words does not suffice us, is not enough, we should gather together whatever may be found throughout the whole of Scriptures concerning the providence of God until this doctrine that God always keeps watch for us is deeply rooted in our hearts so that depending upon His guardianship alone, we may bid adieu to all the vain confidences of the world. The 15 songs of ascent pick up on one word from the ironic benediction of Numbers chapter 6 and use it over and over again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. So let's look at these few verses. Verses 1 through 4. I will lift up my eyes to the hill from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall not slumber or sleep. So verse 1 asks that question, from whence comes my help? And the answer comes immediately. It comes from not just my helper, but as we're going to see, it comes from my infinite helper. Again, a 2,000-foot elevation change from outside Jerusalem to the city. Robbers and thieves and other dangers on the hills. and all There are all kinds of robbers and thieves, by the way, and dangers on the hills that you traverse all the time. Somebody's seeking to distract you. Somebody's seeking to get you to go another way, to not pay attention. Nevertheless, if the Lord made all of heaven and all of earth, then we may confidently conclude that all the parts of the whole, of the whole universe, are fully under His providential control, and therefore, it is an easy, easy matter for Him to help me. He is not too busy somewhere else, and somehow he's forgotten me. He is omniscient. He knows everything, and he knows it all the time. And that includes about you. W.S. Plummer's commentary on Psalm, he said this, We can form no higher conception of ability to give aid to those who need it than when we rightly consider the creative energy which made heaven and earth, the power which brought all things out of nothing, is competent for any work. Let there be light, and there was light. He spoke the world into existence. And so as we set our eyes on the kingdom, 
as we seek first the kingdom of God, then he says he will keep watch over us. He will preserve us. So God, again, this psalm tells us, is sovereign. He is omnipotent, that is, all-powerful. Not mostly powerful, not really powerful, but all-powerful. He is also, again, omniscient, all-wise, always focused, always aware, and no surprises. He watches, the text tells us, day and night. It would not be uncommon for a night watchman to doze off on the job. But but while all the other night watchmen and those who watch over our hearts fall asleep, our keeper is vigilant. He never falls asleep. He's never distracted. He is the perfect watchman. Psalm 121 reminds us that when we put our heads on the pillow at night, God doesn't do that. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I go to sleep knowing that He watches over. He never dozes. He never sleeps. Compare this to when Elijah mocked the worshipers of Baal. You remember that story in 1 Kings 18? He he says to them, Cry aloud to your God, Baal, for he is a God. Either he's meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Our Lord is in control, and we aren't. We're vulnerable, but He isn't. As Charles Spurgeon put it, He is alone all-sufficient. Men and angels means and instruments, the united powers of the earth and the wisdom of all creatures are as nothing compared to God. Verses 5 and 6, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. So that which is true of the keeper of Israel, the psalmist applies believingly to himself. The individual among God's people, and these are psalms that God's preserved for us, for us to sing, because they're for us. So that you is you. He is your keeper. He is your shade. He is your personal umbrella. When when does God keep and protect you? The text tells us all time is covered. Again, Spurgeon commented in his poetic way, what a mint of meaning lies here. The sentence is a mass of bullion. And when coined and stamped with the king's name, it will bear all our expenses between our birthplace on earth and our rest in heaven. 
You see, if God were to stop keeping you for just a moment, you'd be finished. Now, if this goes in one ear and out the other, it will not be of help to you at all. And so I'm calling on you again right now to lift up your eyes and to lift up your hearts, to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Verses 7 and 8, The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. He shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. So the word that's translated evil here actually covers way more than just moral evil. It includes all the things we think of as bad, both moral and physical. Think of Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, Spurgeon said, Satan will endeavor to keep your eyes upon our sorrows that we may be disquieted and discouraged. Be it ours firmly to resolve to look out and to look up, for there is good cheer for the eyes, and they that lift up their eyes to the eternal hills shall soon have their hearts also lifted up. Verse 7 and 8 sum up the preceding verses in a series of intensifying statements. God will keep us from all harm. He will watch over our lives. He will watch over our coming and our going. And He will do all that both now and forever. You know, as I thought these verses reminded me of that famous passage in Romans 8, or the doxology that ends the book of Jude. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long and we are counted as sheep for the slaughter? Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor Things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Jude concludes his short epistle, one of my favorite benedictions, Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. So, let's talk about when trouble comes your way, and it is coming your way. Is it actually true that we'll be protected from all harm if God's with us? Well, somebody might ask, well, we never have trouble, but the, but the Bible's not unrealistic, and neither in Psalm 121 or in Romans or in Jude. When Psalm 121 says, my help comes from the Lord, it's an acknowledgement that we are going to need help on this journey. 
And when it speaks of the Lord watching over us day and night, that means we need watching over. And similarly, when Jude writes that God is able to keep us from falling or stumbling, he is admitting that there is a great deal that can cause us to stumble. Nevertheless, we are united to Christ. We can never be detached from Him. And so let me remind you of the Apostle Paul's own experience. 2 Corinthians 11, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labor, and labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, <clears throat> in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches, who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? None of these things, he says, separated him from the love of Christ. And today, he is in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he will be forever. The point of Psalm 121 is not that we don't have problems, but that God will keep us safe when we do. So what is the disciple of Jesus to expect? Pastor Eugene Peterson answers that with this. He says, the Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can talk, walk and talk uninterruptedly with our Lord, nor a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we can compare blue ribbons and gold medals with others who have made it to the winner's circle. The Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, read the same newspapers, are citizens under the same governments, pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline, fear the same dangers, and are subject to the same pressures, get the same distresses, and are buried in the same ground. The difference... The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know that we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God, and therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. The mature Christian is neither blind to trouble nor in fear of it. Since he is following Jesus Christ who said, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
God, God's help covers us from the time we get up in the morning, you're going out, to the time we come home in the evening, you're coming in, and in fact, the whole of time is covered so that there's nothing to which the providential care of God does not extend. God's promises take us from the valley to the summit. Our entrances and our exits are both protected. So I ask you, where do you look when you're looking for a keeper and a protector? The answer is that you must look to another hill. You must look at the Son of Man who stood outside of Jerusalem and looked up at that city when he was on his pilgrimage to the Passover feast And you'll recall that he wept. He wept for that city because he knew what she was about to do to him. And he stood at the bottom of a hill, the ultimate pilgrimage, and they put a cross on his back and prepared him for his journey. And he went up that hill. And instead of getting the safety of the mountain of the Lord as the pilgrims did when they reached Jerusalem, he cried out to God and he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was silence. No reply. There was no help for him in the terrors of Calvary, the night when the sky turned black. And he did this so that there could be help for you and me. Can God keep you and preserve you when circumstances are pulling you down? And the answer is found in Romans 8, 31 and 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? He is not only the keeper and preserver of Israel. He is your keeper. He is your preserver. He is your only help. He is your Savior. Let's pray. Father, you know how easily we are both distracted and discouraged, and we often fail to look up and to believe and to remember your promise to be our help. We forget that Jesus also promised that he would never leave or forsake us. Help us to put our complete trust in you in all circumstances of life, for you have declared that you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, for he trusts in you. Amen. A few years ago, 
My good friend David Gibbler wrote to me an update on some trials that he and his family had been going through. And the first part of that letter was a general exhortation that I think that I thought would be applicable considering today's sermon on Psalm 121 and in preparation of coming to the table. So I read a portion of that to you. He said, I am reminded that when God led the children of Israel into the desert, they grumbled, murmured, and complained. In their new surroundings, they saw only rocks, dirt, undesirable neighbors, and inconvenience. They equated these things to hopelessness, and they took that hopelessness as license to challenge God's wisdom and His right to rule. If they had seen more clearly, they would have realized that the stuff of the wilderness and its despair was the background for displaying God's grace. The difficulties and challenges should not have been the focus, but should have served as a contrast that heightened their perception of God's kindness to them. After all, who appreciates a gift more, a rich person or a poor person? Who appreciates a feast more? a full person or a hungry person. It only makes sense that it was in the face of the Egyptian army that God parted the Red Sea for Israel's deliverance. It was in a parched place that he miraculously gave them water. It was in a barren place where he gave them manna, that miraculous bread from heaven. And it was a a deserted place where he gave them uh, more quail than they could eat. And it was in a land of endless toil where he gave them one day out of seven to rest with a clear conscience. So here we are in our wilderness journey. And lest we sound too pious, let me confess that we have had our share of focusing on the wrong things, having bad attitudes, and having moments of downright depression. But as we remember Israel's journey... We are moved to remind each other of how the difficulties have been like the desert backdrop. The real story in the foreground is about how God carries us through these difficulties. He has given us springs of unexpected joy. He has given us sustenance in the encouragement of friends. And he has energized us with a hope that is even better than that old promised land, Canaan. So when we really open our eyes we see that God is very good to us, even in difficult times. Amen. Glorious Jehovah, our covenant God, all your promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen, and all shall be fulfilled. You have spoken them, and they shall be done, commanded, and they shall come to pass. Yet we have often doubted them, and have lived at times as if there were no God. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Teach us to be resigned to your will, to delight in your law, to have no will but yours, to believe that everything you do is good for us. Help us to leave our concerns in your hands, for you have power over evil, and bring from it an infinite progression of good until all your purposes are fulfilled. Bless us with Abraham's faith that staggers not at promises through unbelief. May we not instruct you in our troubles, but glorify you in our trials. Give us the confidence we ought to have in him who is worthy to be praised and who is blessed forevermore. Bless now this Lord's Day that we might know its joy and blessing, the fellowship of the saints, 
the bounty of your, uh, the blessing of your bounty and the rest that is only in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen.